This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Hey, good morning, everybody. Man, it's such a good day to be together. Uh, If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life, and I'm going to guide us for the rest of our time together. And it's an exciting morning for us as a church. Uh, we just finished, if you're, if you're just joining in, we finished a week-long experiment called our How to Neighbor Experiment, where we've been talking about what it looks like to love people and neighbor locally and nationally and globally. And one of the things we realized is that globally, the majority world, which is the majority of people in our world who live on less than $2 a day, they don't have the access to the varieties of food that we have. So our experiment was for one week, what if we just ate only meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner that were based on beans and rice to kind of limit our ability so that we could identify globally with the world, um, so that we could engage with God through this thing called a fast where we would be praying and engaging with him. And then we said, you know what, we want to bring a special offering as a church to partner with our global outreach partners who are serving nationally and internationally. And today's the day that we're going to bring our big offering. And I'm so excited about that. Um, But I got a special gift this morning. A friend of mine came up to me during worship and he said, we've got a gift for you. And I thought, well, that's so cool. It's like, it's clergy appreciation month and you brought a gift for me. That's really kind. Which by the way, it is like pastor appreciation month. Here's what I would say to you. Um, would you celebrate our staff pastors? I get celebrated by you guys all the time, but if you have a staff pastor who serves you in a various ministry, I want to encourage you. This is our little secret, so don't listen if you're on staff. This is our little secret. Bless the heck out of them this month. Just tell them how much you love them because they work tirelessly for you. So anyway, my friend came and he said, my wife's got the present. I thought, so kind. And this is what, this is what they brought me, and I'm really excited about this. They brought me a can of beans uh, because clearly... And then they said, if you're going to have that, you also need this. And they brought me some spray. So I, I love our church. Like, I love our church. How fun. Like, oh, I just love it. I love that people would actually do that. That is awesome. That's awesome. Uh, hey, I want to tell you, because I know a number of you brought your offering today, this special offering for our global outreach partners. I want to tell you really quickly how we're going to do that at the end of our time together so you can get it ready. So go ahead and grab your, your giving envelope. And if you came prepared to give, I'm just going to tell you how we'll be doing this. If you want to bring a special offering for our global outreach partners, you can just write either global outreach or go where it says other in the specified category, G-O for global outreach, and then the amount. If you write that, whatever that amount is, will go to our global outreach partners. If you just leave it blank, it will go to our general tithes and offerings, which functions to really guide our church and help us to do the things that God's called us to do. So you can go ahead and get that ready. And if you want some beans, um, I've got plenty to share. So there you go. Uh, well, we are, uh, we're rounding the corner. We're in the last two weeks of this series that we're calling How to Neighbor. And you're going to want your teaching notes because I'm going to lay out a path for us today that I think will be really helpful as we take some next steps in one specific area of neighboring. But if you've missed a few weeks or maybe it's your first time here, let me catch you up to speed because we're in the last few chapters of this novel that we're calling How to Neighbor. And in this series, we came to this big question that Jesus was asked, how can I get the most out of life? The guy phrased it this way, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So how do I, how do I get the most out of my life? And he was asking two questions. The first one was this, and I've shared it with you. How do I make sure that I seal my eternity? 
so that when I breathe for the last time, when I blink for the last time, that I know where I'm going? That's part of this eternal life question. And the answer to that was, God has given everything for you. When Jesus gave his life on the cross, you need to accept that gift that God has given to you and respond to him by loving God in return. That's how you, that's how you seal your eternity. But the second part of this question was, how do I get the most out of this one and only life? And the answer to that was, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the word love really is a really specific word. It means put their needs before your needs. Do what's best for them, even if it's inconvenient for you, even if it costs you something. And Jesus says, if you love like that, you will experience a life free from regret. You won't look back and say, I wish I would have, I should have, I could have, and I didn't. You'll say, I got the most out of this one and only life. But the guy says to Jesus, okay, that makes sense, but like, how many people do I have to do that to in order to get the most out of life? He asks it this way, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? How many people do I have to put their needs before mine in order to get the most out of this life? And in response to that, Jesus tells a story called a parable, which is a fictional story with a twist somewhere in it that speaks to a deep spiritual reality. And so he tells this story, this parable called the story of the Good Samaritan. And there was too much in this story to just do one week on this topic. And so what I decided to do was for five weeks, we're looking at the same story from five different angles because this story is packed. Jesus was a master storyteller. It's packed full of truth and reality about what it looks like to actually neighbor. So I'm going to give us a cursory read of the story because if you've been coming, you've heard the story. This is now the fourth time and you're so excited about the story. You've been reading it at home and you've been like digging into it. I know that. So yeah, that's what I like to hear. So I'm not going to overdo it, but I want to kind of bring us up to speed and it starts off like this. The guy wanted to justify himself. He said, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus replied, let me tell you a story. A man was going from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was attacked by robbers. They beat him and they stripped him of his clothes and they went away, leaving him half dead. And a priest, a religious leader, saw the man on the ground and he thought to himself, oh, that doesn't look very good. He's probably dead. I can't, I can't be bothered to help him. And so he walked around on the other side. And in the same way, a Levite, another religious leader, He saw the man and he thought, oh, I don't know. I don't know. What if the robbers are still here? They might get me too. And so he walked around on the other side and he passed him by. And then it says, but a Samaritan. I want you to underline that because remember, we like to focus on different parts of the story today. We're going to really hit that. But a Samaritan. As he traveled, he came to where the man was and he saw him. And he he took pity on him. The word literally means he, he had compassion He had empathy. He said, I I can see myself in his eyes. I could see myself in his story. I'm walking down the same road he walked down, and he happened to be the one that got attacked by robbers. And I didn't, but I could see myself being right there. And that that compassion, that empathy, it moved him to action. He picked him up, and he, he anointed him, where he put like this oil and wine on his body as an antiseptic to take care of him. And then he bandaged his wounds, and he took the man on his own donkey, and he took him to an inn where he gave the innkeeper some money and said, take care of him and whatever he needs, I will pay you back in the end. And today we're going to talk about this idea, but a Samaritan. Because when the original hearers heard that phrase, they let out a collective gasp, like, (gasps) so, okay, we're going to try that because I know you're thinking, a Samaritan, oh my gosh. So let's just try it, ready? But a Samaritan. Right. I know. I know. Now, 
You don't yet know why you're gasping. So let me rewind 700 years from before this story was told. Because to understand why you're so, you're so indignant about that, why you're so shocked by that, you have to go back 700 years in history to when the nation of Israel was one nation that had a civil war. They fought against themselves and they split up into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And both kingdoms rebelled against God. They did not follow God's guidelines. They did not follow God's leading. And God said to them, if you do not walk with me, I cannot protect you. And the first kingdom to go down apart from God's protection was the northern kingdom. And this group of raiders came along, the Assyrian Empire, and they went from tribe to tribe, from kingdom to kingdom, conquering. I almost hit my hand. That would not be a good choice. I sprained my wrist. Long story short, I thought I was 25. I'm actually 35. That's how I sprained my wrist. And the Assyrians came and they conquered the northern kingdom. And this was the Assyrian pattern. They would conquer a tribe, they would conquer a kingdom, and they would take the biggest, the best, the brightest back with them to their home country, and they would leave the leftovers there. And then they would bring in other people groups into this country that they'd just taken over, and they would have the groups intermarry. And the idea behind it was, if you're no longer a unified people group with a unified bloodline, you will not be unified in fighting against us if we come back later. And that's exactly what they did with the Jewish people. They conquered the northern kingdom. They took the best, the brightest, the smartest Jewish people. They left the leftovers there. They brought in other people's groups, and the other people groups intermarried with the Jewish people. The problem with that was that God had said to the Jews, do not marry with other groups because they'll bring in other gods and goddesses, and it will not be um, the unique people that I've called you to be. Fast forward And the people who were taken into captivity. By the way, when you read your Bible, you see this kind of thing. You see like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You see Daniel who who are taken away because they're the best and the brightest. It's that idea. But the people come back to the northern kingdom after they've been let go. And they realize that their Jewish brothers and sisters had intermarried with these other peoples. And had made a mixed race group of people called the Samaritans. And they felt like the Samaritans were traitors to God. That they had betrayed them that they'd taken their land, that they'd invited in other gods, and the Jewish people and the Samaritans had a racial tension develop. And over the next 700 years, this racial tension grew, and battles were fought, and wars were fought, to the extent that by the time Jesus stepped on the scene, Samaritans were some of the most hated people by the Jews. Not only were they another people group, a different race, but they were also traitors of the one true God. Now, they didn't view themselves that way. But the Jews did. So when Jesus tells a story and he says, this man is hurt. Jewish religious leaders snubbed the guy. But a Samaritan. That's awesome. I wasn't even ready for that. I know. But a Samaritan helped. Helped him. This is so fun. It'd be like walking into a clan meeting and making an African American the hero of your story. That's what it would be like. <gasps> yeah, now we're all quiet. Okay. Here's why this is so important Jesus moved beyond 
the polarization of race. And he came to a third way. It was not accidental. Remember, this is a fictional story. Jesus could choose anyone to be the hero in this story. Anyone. He chose the racial enemy of the Jews to be the hero of his story. And it was not accidental. It was intentional. Because in a world that becomes polarized, Jesus always brings a third way. See, you were either Jewish and pro-Jewish, or you were Samaritan and pro-Samaritan, but you were not Jewish and pro-Samaritan unless you were Jesus, who was Jewish and pro-Samaritan. So in my undergrad, I studied U.S. history. That was my emphasis, was on actually the civil rights movement. It started with the... um, the African-American Civil Rights Movement of the 60s. It moved to the United Farm Workers Movement and then to the Disabilities Persons Act of the 70s and 80s. This was my focus in history. And what I love to do is I like to watch U.S. history to see trends that we have. And can I just say, as I've watched the trends, it's clear to me that there has not been a time of this much racial polarization since the 60s. We are looping back into a a resurgence of us and them, black lives and blue lives. Never the two shall meet. And what I want to do today is I just want to talk about Jesus' third way because he always invites us. When it comes to race, he invites us into not us and them, not in and out, not the Jews and the Samaritans, but a unique people called together. And I want to talk about that today. And I'll be honest with you, I've been praying about this message for probably two and a half months because our church has not, has not dove into this topic in a long, long time. And I've been asking God, how do we, how do we jump into this? How do we talk about this in a way that, that affirms where we are, that speaks to where we could be, that draws us together? And how do I, as a big whitey, speak to race relations in our country? That's how I talk to God, big whitey. Uh, that's, I asked him. And this morning I was praying, as the kids were running around, I was praying about this morning, and, and God just brought tears to my eyes because I know the beauty that God can bring. And it was tears of hope and joy, but also tears of feelings of boy, God, I don't know that I can do this justice. So I'm going to ask you to walk with me on this journey. We're going to take a little journey down a road that I call the Reconciliation Road. And I want to take us on four steps on the Reconciliation Road. That word reconciliation means to bring two unlike things back together, to draw things back together. We're in a country that is kind of spread things apart. My goal is to draw us back together. And you're probably going to find yourself somewhere on this road. There are four steps to it. It's okay to find yourself wherever you find yourself on this road. I'm going to invite us, wherever we are, just to ask God to help us take our next step on this journey because we believe life with God is a journey. It's not a destination that we reach in our 20s or 30s or 40s or 50s. It is a journey. And I'm telling you, I've got, there's a gal in our church who's 89, and she tells me I'm still journeying with God, and I love that. She's a lifelong learner. So here are the four steps on the road. And I just want, as we're talking, just for you to think. We're not going to raise hands. I'm not going to have you nudge your neighbor. Think, where am I in this journey? The first step is, is active racism. 
That's the first step on this road. Some people, some of us, start here. Why do we start here? Well, we start here because of the way we were raised, our upbringing sometimes. Uh, We start here because someone hurt us because of our race. And in response, we said, I'm never going to allow that again. And so we hurt others because we've been hurt. That's part of the reason why we start there. Some of it is just ignorance, lack of perspective and exposure. But here's the thing we have to understand about active racism. And it comes from James chapter 2, where James says, brothers and sisters, and he's talking to believers, people who follow God, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes to your meeting and he's wearing gold rings and fine clothes, and then a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes but say, and say to him, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand over there. Sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not, what's the word, discriminated? Have you not discriminated among yourselves, becoming judges with evil thoughts. Now, James in the story is talking about finances, but the truth is the idea carries beyond finances to race relations. See, racism at its core is not a skin issue. Racism at its core is a sin issue. That's why James says we must not show favoritism. We must not show partiality. Because when we do, we are sinning. We're missing God's best. We're we're limiting ourselves. We're hurting others, and we are breaking the heart of God. Now, if you find yourself in this, and we're not going to stay here for very long, but if you find yourself on this step, here's what I would invite you to do. Pray and ask God to move you from this step as quickly as possible. The word that you would use is repent. It means change your thinking. Change your thinking. Ask God, God, change my thinking about a specific racial group so that I could walk in unity with you and in unity with others. The second step on the road from active racism is to passive prejudice. The word prejudice simply means prejudge. Prejudge. And I would venture to say that we all have had or have some level of prejudice. We all have prejudged someone, some group at some time. It could be based on rich people, we prejudge them, or poor people, we prejudge them. Could be overweight people, could be skinny people. Could be old people that we prejudge. Could be young people that we prejudge. Could be pastors that we prejudge. Listen, I get this all the time. I can tell you something. I never lead, when I meet someone, I never lead with, I'm a pastor, Because when I say I'm a pastor, I'm not joking. What people hear is me saying I'm a pedophile. That's what they hear. Because this is what people do when I say I'm a pastor. They say, oh, and they step back from me. It's like, I will not hurt you. I promise. (laughs) I remember I was at one of my daughter's birthday parties a number of years ago for a friend. It was a friend's birthday party. We're there. I meet this really cool guy. He's a construction worker. He's awesome. We're like 30 minutes. We're just chopping it up. We're talking about life and this and that and what he does. And our kids like love hanging out. And he says to me finally after about a half hour, so what do you do? And there's like, there's that moment where the anxiety comes up. And I said, I'm a pastor of a church. And he said, oh, and he physically took a step back. And this is what I said to him. I know. And I seemed so normal. (laughs) 
Listen, how many of us walked into church with some level of suspicion based on experiences we've had in the church before, based on stories we've read in the media about what clergy have done? How many of us had some level of suspicion? That is simply prejudice, prejudging before knowing. When it comes to race, many of us start here. We have some level of prejudice, of prejudging. It, it's that thing that causes us to hold our purse a little bit tighter when someone from a different race is walking behind us. It's that thing that causes us to cross the street as we walk down the road. It's that thing that causes us to tell that joke that's funny, but we kind of lower our voice when we say it. That's pre- prejudice. It's because usually we've got limited data points. It's because oftentimes the media has set people up against each other and put perspectives in us that are not helpful and are not healthy. It's lack of exposure to racial diversity. One of the moments I regret most in my life happened when I was in fifth grade. There was a, a little boy who came to our school. I grew up in a town called Glendora. I call it Glendora Berry. Uh, but, I mean, it was all white, like all white. I love Glendora. It was just, it's very much like Petaluma, I mean, it, very much like Petaluma, quite honestly. Like, it was very white. And I remember um, one day a little boy from Iran came. His family had moved from Iran to the United States and landed in Glendora, of all places. And the teacher knew I was a good kid, <laughs> thought I was a good kid, and said, Kevin, would you walk this little boy around? Would you be his friend, his buddy, his partner? He didn't speak any English. Um, I didn't speak any Arabic. And um, and so I walked around. Nice kid. He was doing everything he could uh, to fit in and try. And, and we really got to like each other. And we went to lunch that day, and I was sitting next to him, uh, and he pulled out a traditional Middle Eastern meal, while my friends all pulled out peanut butter and jelly sandwiches on Wonder Bread. And my friends looked over at him, and they started to whisper, and they started to say, look at he's eating dirt burritos. Look at him eating dirt burritos. I didn't say anything. That is passive prejudice. It's that thing that looks at someone differently and puts a negative judgment on them without knowing. Fast forward. I married a Lebanese woman. (laughs) She tells me her story of going to school begging her mom to give her peanut butter and jelly sandwiches because the kids would make fun of her for the Middle Eastern food that she ate. It is heartbreaking. And it breaks the heart of God when we find ourselves here. So what do we do? Again, we ask God to change our hearts. We repent of our passive prejudice that has caused us to to dichotomize and stereotype people and set up groups that are against each other, that has caused us to tell jokes or look with suspicion on certain people groups. We change our thinking and we ask God to take us down the next path of the reconciliation road, which if you're a product of the 80s and 90s, this was touted as the highest path on the road, which is this. The third step is colorblindness. Now, honestly, if you're like me, a product of the 80s and 90s, colorblindness was, like, majority culture white people, this was our rallying cry. Like, we are colorblind. We're not active racists. We're not passive prejudice. 
We look at our grandparents. If you're like me, you look at your grandparents who tell a joke, and you'd be like, how could you? I don't see race. That's what we would say. I don't see color. What we're saying is, I will not discriminate based on the way you look or your racial background. But what we accidentally do in colorblindness is we lose sight of the experiences that make a person who they are. Because if I don't see your race, then I actually don't see part of you. Does this make sense? Where does this idea come from? It actually comes from a passage in Galatians. This is where I learned it. That's a misunderstanding of a Bible passage where Paul says this, in Christ there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, but all are, what's the word? One in Christ Jesus. And and we've taken that for a long time to read as, I'm not supposed to see you in any other marker other than our oneness in Christ. And while our oneness in Christ is that thing that unites us all together, could you imagine if I said to my wife, honey, I don't see you as a woman because there's no male nor female. We're all one in Christ. Like, come on, bud. Like, that would be so offensive to her femininity, wouldn't it? Listen, she's a woman. I'm a man. Like, she was like, I don't see you as a man. <laughs> we have beautifully different experiences as males and females. And to embrace my wife means to embrace her womanness. In the same way, when it comes to race, to not embrace someone's unique ethnicity or race is to accidentally say to them, I don't see the beauty of God's creation in you. It's to accidentally say to someone, I don't see you. Because while race is not the sum and total of who we are, it is not less than who we are either. Our race is part of us, beautifully so. Beautifully so. And the great thing about what Paul says is that Paul says that this thing that unites us, our oneness in Christ, opens the door for us to have honest conversations about the things that make us different. Wouldn't it be great if our country could have something that unites us so deeply that we could have honest conversations about the things that make us different? without putting each other into camps, us and them, blue and red. I'm not even going to continue. Next week, next week, you got to come back. I'll tell you why in just a few minutes, but I'm telling you, you're not going to want to miss it. The beautiful thing about God, the beautiful thing about God is that we are all children of, of God. Every one of us who's given our lives over to him has been adopted into his family. We're siblings. We're brothers and sisters. And the family bond that unites us gives us the freedom to make mistakes in asking about the things that divide us. Because we know that this oneness 
is a beautiful thing. So what's the fourth step on this road? And this is where, boy, I believe God's vision is to move us here. The fourth step in this reconciliation road is difference embracing. Difference embracing. This is the step where we would say to each other, your race, as much as your gender, as much as your age, as much as your experience, as much as your family, is part of you. Let's talk about that. How do we do it? How can we become difference embracers? Well, the first thing that we want to do is we want to form friendships with people from different racial backgrounds. If we don't have friends that are different races and ethnicities, it becomes really easy to polarize and become us then. The Jewish people in Jesus' day, when they got to Samaria, if they had to go through Samaria, they would rather walk miles out of their way to walk around Samaria because they believed just stepping into Samaritan land polluted them. And they would not engage outside of their racial norm. And it caused an us-them dichotomy that God never designed. Forming friendships opens the door, opens the door for actual conversations. So I would say, invite someone out to coffee who's a different race than you. Invite them out to lunch. Now, I say that, and I see my my non-white friends in the room, and they're thinking, I'm about to get 20 invitations to coffee this afternoon. Like, I can't drink that much coffee. Slow down, whiteies. Slow down. Okay, stick with me, people. Is that, I can't even, I said it. I'm not saying we all go out and like force this. What I'm saying is we pray and say, God, could, could you open the door for me to have some friends who are outside of my racial group? And as you open those doors, would you help me to, to, to invite dialogue, to take a friend out to coffee, to take a friend out to lunch. Do you have a coworker from a different ethnic background? Take him out to lunch. Form a friendship. I'm telling you, in that friendship, you'll get to know someone. You won't get to know all people, but you'll get to know a person, and it opens the door for actual relationships. The second step is this. When we go out, ask questions. Ask questions about their experience. Here's a good rule of thumb. Ask more questions, make less statements when it comes to talking about race. If you're like me and you come from a majority culture, we've got some statements in our minds. What if we asked more questions and made less statements? And then the third thing is listen to their story. Listen to their story. They're not speaking for all people of their ethnic group. They're speaking of themselves. And if we stay away from trying to stereotype all people around one person, we stay away from that. We can actually get to know individuals and hear stories, and it will shape perspectives, and it will help us see what's going on in our world through the lens of someone who sees the world fundamentally possibly different than us, whose experiences are different than ours. See, God's desire is to draw us back into dialogue, back into dialogue in a world that is becoming increasingly polarized. God has always said to the church, be the voice of reconciliation. Be the community that actually engages with each other on all of who we are. As we close, I want to tell you why you would want to do this. And the reason why comes from the book of Revelation. 
which is a vision that this guy named John had about what heaven will be like, what that last day will be like. And I'm going to give you a little warning. He uses some language that's like a little bit out there. So like one of the things he says is he talks about the lamb. When he talks about the lamb, he's talking about, he's talking about Jesus. So I want you to hear this picture of what heaven will look like. John says, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude of people that no one could count. And check this out. They were from every, from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, and they were standing before the throne and before the Lamb, before Jesus. And they were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to Jesus. Here's the thing I love. This picture tells us that in heaven, in heaven, we will hold on to the things that make us unique, even while we worship the one who brings us together. We won't all look the same. We won't all sound the same. We won't all speak the same language. If you're thinking, boy, I can't wait for heaven because the worship's going to be just like this. We're actually, that's just a tiny thing. Yeah, some of the worship might be like that, but it will probably be in a variety of languages. If you're thinking this music is too quiet, that's what you're thinking. Don't worry, the worship will be louder in heaven. And if you're thinking this music is a little too, a little too loud, listen, it'll be times where it's quieter in heaven. It's crazy. But the great thing about heaven is it's the place where races will be embraced, ethnicity will be embraced, stories will be told. And if earth is our training ground for heaven, wouldn't we want to take this road now? If that's where we're going to end up in the end, and this is our time to practice, let's walk this road together. What do we do with a conversation like this? I thought to myself as I prayed, boy, I'm I'm kind of opening up a door, and and, uh, I don't know what our next steps are. I would say some of our next steps are form relationships have conversations. I would say one of our big next steps is is pray. Pray. Ask God to show us. And I'm, I'm talking all of us across racial spectrums, because as I look out, our church has actually become more racially diverse in the last probably four or five years than that it has been traditionally. And I love that about us, because I think it's a beautiful expression of heaven. But ask God, what would it look like to take my next step on this journey. One of the things I'm going to invite us all to this week is just to go home and ask, where am I on the journey? What step am I on? There's no shame in knowing where we are. It just gives us the ability to move to the next place. So where are you on this journey? Active racist, passive prejudice, colorblind, or difference embracing. And wherever we are, what if we just ask God, what's my next step? And if you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to the thing that unites us all. I want to invite you to the thing that opens the door for a guy like me to stand up before 300 of my friends and say, we're going to have an honest conversation about a thing that, that keeps our country so separated. Here's the thing that allows that. It's that the majority of us in this room have found something that unites us together in someone, and that someone is Jesus Christ. That Jesus is God in the flesh that Jesus left heaven and came to earth, gave his life on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin, not just for our sins in Petaluma, but for the sins of all people, of every race, ethnicity, language, and tribe. 
and he's gathering together a multicultural family to himself, a unique people who lives on this earth, loving in a unique way, who will get to heaven and experience worship with God forever. And if you've never come into that family, I want to give you a chance to do that today, to say to God, I want to accept the forgiveness that you gave to me. I want to enter into your family, and I want to walk with you. So would you join me? I'm going to pray, and then we'll continue on with our morning. First, I want to pray for all of us. God, would you continue to guide us to be a community who consistently looks for a third way with you on every topic? Lord, would you make us a community who is embracing of the uniqueness of each person in this community? Lord, would you make this community, continue to make this community a a, a safe place for every man, every woman, and every child who walks through the doors. And for each of us, Lord, as we go home and we process this talk, as we talk with our families, friends, kids, spouse, would you remind us of how deeply proud you are of each of us? And as we know how much you love us, would you give us the safety to be able to say where we are in this journey and to look at our next step. And as we continue to pray, if you're here and you're ready to commit your life to God, to enter into his family and start this journey with him, you can repeat the simple prayer where you would just say, God, I'm ready. I want to walk with you. Where you would acknowledge before him the truth that you feel internally right now. You could whisper these words, say something like this. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me deeply. And that you came to pay the penalty for my sin. And that you came into this world to bring healing into my life from the places where others' sin has caused brokenness to me. And I'm asking God both for your forgiveness and your healing. God, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? And would you show me what it looks like to walk with you every day from this day forward, even as I walk into eternity? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.